the only language I really understood when I was growing up in, in school. I, as I said, couldn't read or write. I was rubbish at absolutely at everything else. I, I bunked English and I bunked maths and I bunked off everything else. But when it come to cookery classes and music classes, I absolutely never missed. I was always in, in line for that. Going into schools and that sort of stuff, I, I do that because I think that if there was a somebody like a Peter Jones or somebody to come along a bit earlier to help me in my life, to maybe to spot that you, you do have some form of talent, then perhaps it wouldn't have taken me until I was 48 to become a success. Welcome to the Success and Ideas podcast. I'm Richard Myron. This is the podcast where I try to understand success. In this second season, we're talking to a range of individuals who've succeeded in new and different areas from sport to public life and all types of business. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Levi Roots. To many people in the UK, that name is inevitably bound up with Reggae Reggae Sauce, which Levi originally created in his kitchen and is now found in supermarkets throughout the country. Levi Roots found his way into the public consciousness after pitching his source with an introductory song to investors on the Dragon's Den TV show on the BBC. The presentation combined his two passions, food and music, and led him to winning not just investment and support, but also fame. Levi's origins are far removed from boardrooms and TV studios. He's originally from a village in Jamaica and came to London when he was only 11 years old, not knowing how to read or write. He had a tough time growing up, which included getting into trouble and ending up in prison twice. But he turned himself around and, with the help of his children, began making and selling his sauce, initially at the Notting Hill Carnival. Following Dragon's Den, Levi developed a business empire that encompasses a range of food and drinks, as well as success as a musician and producer. But he sought to use his experience also to inspire young people in schools, prisons and elsewhere. His message is, I want to spread the word that if a black Brixtonian Rastafarian can make it with just a source, then you can make it too. Levi, big welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Levi, your identity as a Jamaican, as a Londoner, as a Rastafarian seems bound up with what you've done. How important has your identity been, maybe all of those parts or some of those parts, to your success in those differing areas of life that I've described? I never knew how to love myself. And I think that's a story for many other young people like myself with similar background, whether you're black or you're white. But the key thing is that your family is poor and you can't afford the, the things that the guys down the road in the Lithium part of the neighborhood can, can afford. I, I never believed in myself in, in, in any way because it wasn't, it wasn't something that you do. Um, you survived when I was growing up and, and, and your life is led by that. You know, you mentioned that going into schools and that sort of stuff. I, I do that because I think that if there was a somebody like a Peter Jones or somebody to come along a bit earlier to help me in my life, to maybe to spot that you, you do have some form of talent and it, but it would take somebody to help you along with that, then perhaps it wouldn't have taken me until I was 48 to become a success. 
So when did you start then believing in yourself? Was it only at Dragon's Den at the age of 48? Well, it was before that, actually, is, is when I had to change who I was, because you have to metamorphosize from that person who even you loathe yourself because of the stories that you come from. And because you can see over the wall of what's happening in the leafier parts. For me in Brixton, Hearn Hill was the leafier parts of Brixton, that we could see what it was like over there when, when you could love yourself. And you could see the kids that were proud of where they were from and, and all that kind of stuff. But it was much later on into, in my life when I had to change from being Keith Graham, you know, the Scottish guy. That was your birth name. Yeah, that was your that birth was my name. birth name that my father had given it to me. Keith got me into a lot of trouble, got me into prison. And it wasn't until I, I found reggae music and the Rastafari culture that I changed my name from from being Keith into someone who I wanted to be. I thought that, hey, I'm going to make it here. Um, I've got talent. I love to cook. I, 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 I love music. And if I can be the best of me in that respect, not the best of everybody else, but the best Levi that I could be, then, then that would be enough. And you gave yourself then this name, Levi Roots. Where does it come from? What does it mean? Those were the time in the 70s, 73, 74, when the social movement in America was coming through with Malcolm X and, and everyone was excited about Angela Davis and, and all these big black figures. But over here, us as young people, as young blacks, we never had any inspiration that was coming through. The only thing that was coming through was reggae music, you know, and reggae music was telling me that I wasn't the Keith. I wasn't the Keith Graham, which was the name my father had given me, which I don't know, he was thinking of a Scottish warlord and the God of love because he named me Keith Valentine Graham. I just couldn't work it out. <laughs> I kept looking in the mirror and thinking that, Lord of mercy, I kept getting into trouble and thinking that I can't focus in some way. I latched onto this Rastafarian faith that was coming through from Jamaica, mainly through reggae music. I was educating myself that I was a Scottish, that I was African after all. And if I wanted to, to be the real me, I needed to, to be called and be named of something that I felt comfortable with. And the Rastafari faith was saying that if you're born in the month of June, then you're a Levite. It's from the Hebrew calendar. So I chose the name of Levi. And of course, I wanted to say being the strongest person and the roots of a tree. The first thing I thought is, get Keith out of there, you know, <laughs> bring in Levi. And I felt much better because of that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. By the way, I'm Jewish and my I am a I'm a Levite. Ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I was just like, oh, okay. Well, well you know the blessing, you know, you know the blessing of the Levite. I yes. do, I do. <laughs> so your aspirations, you know, when you as it were, became Levi, it wasn't for fame. It wasn't, it was for you to achieve success on your own term. Or was there something that you wanted to also prove to other people around you? Your own life determines your, your tribulations when you're that age. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm still at school. I'm a teenager in those days. I, you mentioned in my notes there, I came over at age of 11 from Jamaica, couldn't read or write straight into secondary school where everybody else was way ahead of way ahead of me. The struggle starts there. And then your home life comes into it as well. Mine was very toxic. Um, so on top of that, so 
coming home where you think you'd find sanctuary. And you could be you, but it wasn't like that. Um, as a matter of fact, I prefer the toxicity um, of being um, with my friends and getting into trouble rather than being at home. So home obviously was not the safe place that it should have been for you growing up. What was your sanctuary? Where did you feel safety? I didn't want to stay at home at all. I mean, coming home from school was just like going into hell. As soon as I got in, I wanted to leave. And there was a couple of friends that was living in a block of flats behind us. And and there was a sound system in these flats that people used to sort of, young kids would be around playing reggae music, old ska music would be playing in those days and, and people were you know, having fun, young kids having fun. So I would be joining these kids with the sound system. And I just grew to love music through sound system, seeing the selector playing music and there was a guy on the microphone and he was just like whipping up the crowds at every time with these lyrics. And I just thought that I wanted to be that guy on the microphone. His name was Denzel, by the way. He's quite famous in Brixton. It was just a rhyming DJs that you you'd be rhyming on on the B side of the of reggae music, which was without the vocals. It's a bit like our karaoke's nowadays. And I just hear this guy just rapping with these lyrics on the microphone, and I thought I I wanted to be Denzel, you know, the next Denzel on the microphone, and that inspired me. And and I think that was one of the reasons why I left home. Uh, and and as in those in the old days, you'd be leaving home and join the circus. But I suppose in the seventies in local Brixton, it was leaving home to join the sound systems. And a lot of us in those days, um, in the seventies, did that. And the sound system that I joined in those days was called Sir Coxon, and it was quite famous sound system in, in those days. Wow! So then you put many years into building up the source and selling it at Notting Hill Market, and along came this this TV opportunity. What were you hoping to get out of it at that point? Well, I wanted to make my mum proud. Um, She was the person that really believed in me. You know, I'm an incredible woman. I I can't thank her enough that I I can't think how lucky I am to have her as a mum. Because when I was failing in, in everyone else's eyes, she was the one that really stood up there. I mean, even when I was spotted by the, the producer of the show, I was completely oblivious to what Dragon's Den was. I never saw it, didn't really know what it was. And everyone was saying to me, Levi, you know, don't do you. Don't do me. Don't take the guitar. Yeah, don't do me. Don't do the best part that you think is you. Be someone else. And, you know, I, I nearly did that because it was so intense from everybody telling me not to take the guitar. And my mom was perhaps one of the only person that was that was saying, you know, son, go ahead, be the best of you. Whatever you do, I'll still love you. <laughs> do you. So, I mean, on, on the show, in my head was just wanting to do well for her, you know. And, and I think throughout my whole business life, to remain as how I have and do the business in the fashion that I have is is all down to focusing through wanting to, to do it for her, to, to pay back for, for that belief. That's incredibly moving. So what did you think? You know, you came out and then there was this, it seemed to be this this very sudden sort of commercial success with the source, thanks to, you know, the dragons and and obviously down to yourself as well. What was that roller coaster ride like? I don't know. It felt like I was 
I was constantly drunk and I didn't drink. Because <laughs> the, the whole thing was just so surreal. Being loved by something that I never really ex- expected. By millions of people that saw me making so much mistakes on television, sweating profusely, getting my numbers wrong, <laughs> being perhaps the worst person ever on the show. Oh, when no. People were giving me this love. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't understand it. But I couldn't get enough of it also because it's something that I've been craving to all my life and promising, you know, my dear mom that I could do well. And I remember when she brought me my guitar many years ago when I was in prison, Nobody had believed that I would ever come back from that. She brought me this guitar and she, she says, you know, son, concentrate on that. Use that to waste your time. And I wrote my first album on that same guitar, Free Your Mind. And then I wrote the Reggae Reggae Sauce song on the same guitar that my mom brought me. And um, so, yeah, she, she was the, you know, the catalyst between failure and, and me being the best of me. She really was. Hi, it's Richard here. Sorry for the interruption. I'll keep this quick. This production's made by Earshot Strategies, a podcast company founded in 2017 by me. I'm passionate about podcasts, which is why I set up Earshot. It helps a range of clients make the most of the wonderful medium of audio. We've worked with huge multinational companies like Airbus, international organizations, as well as universities, think tanks, publishers, nonprofits, and many, many others. We work with them from idea to ear, from providing expert advice on changing an existing podcast or launching a new series, through to training, production, and promotion. To see and hear more about what we do, visit our website www.earshotstrategies.com Now, with no further interruptions, back to the podcast. Music, I know you've always said, despite the, the commercial success of The Source and, and everything, you've always said that music, in a way, is your is your first love. And, and just hearing you, it seems to me that music isn't just music. It has also a kind of a spiritual dimension for you, almost. It, it occupies a very important place in your life. It's, it's the only language I really understood when I was growing up in, in school. I, as I said, couldn't read or write. I was rubbish at absolutely and everything else. But music class was the only one that I ever turned up. I, I bunked English and I bunked maths and I bunked off everything else. But when it come to cookery classes as well, because that was in school when I was a kid in the 70s, cookery classes and music classes I absolutely never missed. I was always in, in line for that. So the music was a massive inspiration. My grandmother was was a, a singer in the Baptist church, and I think I, I got the love of music from her. And, and of course, the love of cooking from her also, because I've, I've always said I taste the sauce, always trying to recreate how she cooked. So that accidentally came across the particular flavors for the sauce by trying to cook like her. So it was this inspiration that, that kept me going after the initial success of, of the sauce. But it's, it's all about how, what you do after that. You know, because I think anyone can make an invention, anyone can do something to, to start, but, but it's that journey where you take it and, and, and you, you travel on that journey. And for me, that's the one that I can't believe that we've managed to do that all this time. 
I mean, you talk about that journey, and there's obviously the business journey, but there's also this journey, and I mentioned this in the introduction, you know, the School of Life tour, and, and also the fact that you've you've sought to inspire young people in, you know, schools and, and, and all sorts of places. How important is that to you, that side of, of Levi Roots and, and your work? I have been through that, and, and I've seen my own self in the eyes of prisoners, you know, and of young people in school that are struggling. I was at um, a Young Offenders Institute a couple of months ago, and I saw one young young lad who had came in who was pretending that he was a bit of a bad boy, as, as if he wasn't listening to anything I was saying. He was, wasn't asking any questions at all, but I had my eye on him, and I kept telling my story throughout that. And one of the most amazing things is that when I left, the prison officers wrote to me, and said that that kid had gone back onto the program that he was on, that he had actually left a few weeks before. But because of my talks, he'd gone back on his reading class and, and, and says how the talk really inspired him. But if you had seen how he reacted when I was there at the time, you probably wouldn't think that he was even listening to what I was saying. And that's the reasons why I go in, mm. because that was me. Mm. You know, that was me so full of my own self that I wouldn't admit that I make mistakes. Nobody could tell me about making mistakes, you know, but it's when I actually had started to admit that perhaps I'm not the best of me. You know, I do make mistakes. And I took that into my life, just like that kid. He realized that he did enjoy the talk. So he went back and started to, to make himself forward. So that's why I go in is to try to say to some kids that you can do it, you know, but you need to find the best of you. And if you can't find it, then maybe you need to listen to somebody else who maybe can find help you to find that best of you. We hear a lot about the issues of racism that young black boys and black girls, you know, if they want to start a business, it's hard to get money. They're judged differently. How do you deal with those real issues that people like that confront? Because, I mean, it's, it's far greater than the barriers that grossly unfairly and, and very wrongly that other people in our society encounter. What, what do you say to them? Because they feel the odds are stacked against them. And it is, it is so, you know. You can imagine, I tried for many years, you know, I, I tell the story of how many banks I'd I, I gone in trying to prove that I was worth it. But it never happened for many years, you know. You know, I was on the road with the sauce for at least ten years with my idea, before I accidentally, accidentally sort of came came through. I think we all have something to learn from the George Floyd situation that's come out. That you know that everyone's complicit within this, and we need to all do our bit if we're going to get rid of it. But the first thing is to stand up and put our hand up and 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 admit that it has exists. And I think a lot of people are hiding away from that. But thank God, over the past three or four years, it's much better because I think people understand more of the pains what people of colour have been feeling and the rejections that we get, particularly within the business world that we're talking about jobs for young people and all that kind of stuff. I think that's something that it's not an easy fix. Governments needs to sort out to give young kids more opportunities that is not just only when, like now in my local Brixton, it's gentrified and, you know, other people has to come in to make the area looks like it's worthy of attention. No, it shouldn't be like that. There should be attention on everyone, you know, wherever you live and whatever your class 
jobs is the is the problem for some of these young people. They need to have some kind of chance, know that there's some kind of future for them. But the pull and the call of the gangs and that sort of stuff is so great for them and that need for them to be able to earn to earn money is always that's what got me into trouble is that pull and that need to be able to to um to have something for yourself. Yeah, we've got a long way to go, but I think there has been leaps and bounds over the past two or three years since um, since George Floyd. Levi, what does success? I mean, you know, you, you know, I look at you. You've got the trappings of success. You've you've made some money, and 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 you're very well recognised, and you're a role model for many people. But to you personally, what does success mean? Maybe my bank balance is better. But that doesn't make you the person who you are, your bank balance. I still live in Brixton. I still live where I've always lived. Brixton Market is just down the road from me where it's always been. I'm just as normally here like what everybody knows me. We just talked about gentrification and, and I'm still one of the original guys that's still walking around Electric Avenue in the market. Brixton Market. And I think when I walk through down Electric Avenue, as I says now, I feel that love coming from so much from people that appreciated what I've done and that sort of stuff like that. And I think that's how I mark success. Because if I had moved away, for instance, with success, and I wouldn't be able to feel that that joy of what the people really think of me because you'd be dividing yourself away from that. So my success is still being able to feel that I can do something for these people. And that's being around so some of these young kids can actually see myself and be aspiring to be like me and not just hear about me or occasionally I, I pass through the area. Um, so I, to me, that success is, is, is being grounded, being grounded, yeah. So Levi, we hear about the sources, we've heard about, you know, the books. What what comes next for Levi Roots then? I just can't believe that there's a, a movie being made about my life and it's just been so fantastic. Proper multi-million pound movie and it's, it's just so exciting to be able to tell the Levi Roots story, which is the only thing that I think that I have that I can motivate anyone with is this great story. And to have it made into a movie is just what dreams are come to. So I can't wait to start working out who's going to play me, who's going to start doing the direction. Yeah, yeah. Who, who we got playing you? Well, there, there is a couple of names being called at the moment. The, the gentleman who's playing the, the current Bob Marley and the current Bob Marley play, I'm in the Western at the oh. moment. Um, what about Idris Elba? Idris' name has been called. I, I think it'd be great if Idris could play my dad, for instance. And I think that would be a great part for him. Someone to do my mom as well. So we've got the source, we've got the book, and then we're going to have the movie. Then we're going to have the movie, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Levi Roots, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Richard. So that was Levi Roots. And... And I don't even know why, but I feel moved by my conversation with Levi. I think because I feel that there's no pretense about him. Talking to him was just getting him. And his story is inspiring. He didn't have a straight road to where he got to from his home life through to ending up in trouble and prison. And now going in and trying to inspire other people from his own story, but also making it clear that 
other people it's not going to always be straightforward and that you've got to persevere Levi Roots is I think he's true to himself and his example stands I hope for lots of other people and having heard him you only want to wish him every success going forward make sure you go and listen to the other I hope wonderful and inspiring interviews in the previous season the first season and those others in this season also please subscribe on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts it would also really help if you'd rate and review us as well i'm richard myron the producer is anouk mie and this has been an earshot strategies production all the best Music.